Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolias First. For more information, visit www.magnoliasfirst.org. Good morning, Resonate. Wow, so great to see you this morning. Are you glad to be back together in God's house today? Amen. I'm so thrilled to see every one of you. Before we jump into today's content, uh, let me share with you a very exciting event that's going to be taking place. I, I don't know about you, but I think other than times of war, never has our nation needed prayer more than it needs it today. And because of that, uh, a, a nationwide prayer event called the Return is going to be taking place uh, a week from Saturday, September the 26th, on the National Mall at Washington, D.C. We've got a group of our uh, people who are going to be physically present and be a part of that. There's going to be speakers, well-known uh, Christian leaders like uh, Franklin Graham and uh, Dr. James Dobson and many, many others. And you may be hearing all this and saying, well, that's great, but I'm not going to be able to go to Washington, D.C. But the good news is that we are going to host a simulcast event of the whole uh, National Day of Prayer. The return is going to be simulcast all day long, beginning at 9 a.m. on that Saturday, September 26th, in our chapel, and it will go all the way into the evening with just a brief dinner break. So if you want to be a part of any part of that, uh, uh, you're welcome at whatever time. Just slip into the chapel and be a part of what God is doing that we are praying that God would bring revival and spiritual renewal to America. Because I want to tell you, the solution to America's problems are not political. They're spiritual. And we need to see God do a mighty work in our nation. So uh, we invite you to be a part of that. I mean, spend 30 minutes or spend all day, whatever you choose. But be a part, September 26th, of the return, a national day of prayer. Well, we're continuing a series I began last week called When God Walked Among Us, and we're spending six weeks in the book of John, chapters 6 through 9, a rich section of John's gospel in which Jesus walked among his creations. And we will see some of the things Jesus said. We will uh, witness some of the things Jesus did. We will see life-changing spiritual truths. Uh, and this morning, we're, we're going to be looking at the sixth chapter of John, beginning with verse 22. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open it there. It'll be a little bit uh, before we uh, begin to read the text. John 6, 22, and we'll work our way all the way through verse 69 with selected verses uh, in, in this section of John's gospel. The, the setting is this. This is right after Jesus has fed the multitude on the hillside. Uh, you remember that story, even if you weren't with us last week, you know it, where uh, Jesus was teaching and everybody was hungry and the disciples said, what can we do? We only have uh, five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus multiplied it, fed uh, 5,000 men and their families. I mean, it, it was a, a miracle on a mass scale. Well, that's just taken place. And Jesus is now uh, back at Capernaum. And uh, that's where we will see the curtain rise on this chapter of when God 
walk among us. Uh, at this point, the people are following after him by the hundreds because they are seeking uh, a political revolutionary. The Jews are tired of being under the thumb of Rome. They want somebody who will come and lead them out of oppression. And so they think just maybe Jesus might be this guy. And so they're following after him in mass crowds. But that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to be the sacrifice for your sin and mine. Jesus came to satisfy the deep spiritual hunger that's within every person, whether they know it or not. Jesus came to be the bread of life. And in this passage, we will see uh, verses that are called by theologians and Bible scholars through the generations, the bread of life discourse. And, and Jesus will talk about bread. Well, well, that, no pun intended in this service, that resonates with me because of my many dietary challenges. Bread is one of them. Anybody here with me on that? Okay. All right. Well, let me just expand on that. Well, one of my favorite breads, a little free advertising for this restaurant, is that hot bread they bring out at Papa Dough. Anybody? Am I the only one who eats a Papa Dough? All right. Okay, if you don't, you should go there just for the bread. I mean, they bring this out, and it's crunchy on the outside and soft and delicious on the inside. And they bring out this smooth, creamy butter. And every time I go there, I'm thinking, hey, I'll wait till next time for seafood. Bring me two more loaves of that, of that bread. Now, I'm going to confess, I've never eaten three loaves of bread at Papado, mostly because I'm married to a wife who doesn't let me do insane things like that. But I could, all right? I mean, it's just that uh, delicious. But you know what? Even if I did eat three loaves, guess what by the next day? I'm hungry again. Why? Because that bread is temporary. It doesn't satisfy the deeper need of my life. And, th and that's the whole idea that we're going to see in this passage today. And, and, and I would ask each one of us, are we spending our lives pursuing things that are temporary? Are we spending all of our energy and all of our time and all of our efforts looking for things that won't last? So just think with me about this. Think about the temporary things in your life and mine. And let's start with food. As much as I love that delicious bread, I could eat it until I could not stand one more bite. But the next day, it's gone. It's gone. The best meal you have ever had, the most delicious steak or whatever is good to you, the best meal you have ever had is just in the past. It's gone. Food is temporary. All right, how about this? Your home is temporary. Now, homes are important. Uh, just ask the people in Lake Charles or ask the people in California with the wildfires. Our homes are important, but they're temporary. Uh, in preparation for the message, I decided I would uh, count up the number of homes that Cindy and I have lived in in almost 50 years of marriage. And if my count is correct, we have lived in 18 different homes. 
you know, it kind of makes it sound like gypsies, doesn't it? But, but really, you've lived in more than one home, have you not? Our homes are temporary. Or how about this? This is more a guy thing. Our vehicles. I mean, guys, even if you had that truck you've always wanted, or that uh, Corvette, or that uh, Shelby Cobra Mustang, or whatever your vehicle, of, your dream vehicle might be, even if you have that, it's, it's a temporary possession. Here, let's do this test. How many of you that are at least 30, okay? How many of you that are at least 30 are still driving the first vehicle you ever bought? Any hands? You're not at least 30. All right. Anybody at least 30? Yeah. Why is that? Because vehicles are temporary. I, I owned my Mustang for 11 years, loved it, but sooner or later I had to give it to a grandson so he could tear it up. I mean, they're just, they're temporary. And we could go on and on. All these things are temporary. And if you attend somebody's funeral service, you will never see stuff stuffed in the casket. Because even though maybe they filled up their attic and they filled up their garage and maybe even had storage places with all their stuff, the old saying is true, you can't take it with you. Temporary stuff. Now, now contrast that to eternal things. What's, what's eternal? Well, how about just eternity itself? You know the old hymn, Amazing Grace, that says, when we've been there ten what? When we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. With eternity, there's no past, present, or future. It's just eternal. Or how about this? If you're a child of God by faith, if you're a Christ follower, you have forgiveness. God's forgiveness. Now, some people's theology is messed up on this. They think you can be forgiven and then be unforgiven, then be forgiven again. My Bible says that once you are covered by the blood of Jesus, you are forgiven forever. Can I get a Baptist amen out of a Resonate group? You are forgiven forever. God's forgiveness is eternal. Well, how about, how about this? God's peace. If you understand the peace of God that passes all understanding, no matter what happens to you, God's peace will sustain you. I love the words by the great theologian Vince Gill. And Vince has a song that says, what's the worst thing that can happen? What's the worst that they can do? Threaten me with heaven. It's all they can do. Why? Because that's eternal the peace of God gives you eternal peace. Well, one more, your heritage, your identity. If you know Jesus Christ by faith, if you have become a Christ follower by believing in him, at that moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you were adopted into the family of God. You became an eternal son or daughter of the living God. Can you see the, the contrast between temporary things and eternal things? That's what Jesus is going to be talking about today, and that he is not bread. He is the bread of life, that if you consume the bread of life, you will never hunger 
again. So here's our big idea. If you forget everything else I say today, I want you to remember this one short little sentence. It's the heart of what I'm saying. Jesus is the bread that satisfies eternal hunger. So let's dive into the scripture. John chapter 6, verse 22. If you don't have your Bibles with you, not to worry, uh, it'll be on the screen. Here we go. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, one of the things that I love about studying when Jesus walked among us is I noticed that when people asked Jesus dumb questions, he didn't answer them. I mean, he just gave no reply. He doesn't respond because it didn't matter. Instead, Jesus, as they say, cut right to the chase. He went right to the heart of their spiritual problem and yours and mine. Verse 26, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things, temporary things, like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. Jesus is saying, listen, guys, you are obsessed with the political situation and the issues that you're living in. Oh, by the way, does that sound very familiar? You're obsessed with politics and all that's going on. Listen, that's temporary. All that stuff that was going on with the Jews and Rome and all that, that is ancient history. It was temporary. And guess what? The stuff we are facing today, though it's real and serious, it's temporary. Jesus said, get your focus off of the temporary. And so let me ask you this question. Will you spend your life seeking temporary things or eternal things? Temporary things or eternal things? And to illustrate the difference, Jesus began to use the symbolism of food. Verse 35. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He's saying, hey guys, you were on the hillside that day. You were hungry. You needed lunch. I provided lunch, but that was yesterday. You've needed lunch a bunch of times since then. It's temporary stuff. But if you will come to me spiritually, I'll satisfy that deeper hunger. But sadly, he says in verse 36, but you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. Now, I want you to stop and think about that with me a minute. Jesus said to them, you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. Think about it. Jesus walked among them. 
They saw God incarnate, God in human form. They heard Jesus speak. They heard the very voice of God with their own ears. They saw him demonstrate his power, which validated and verified his divine identity. I mean, they were eyewitnesses, but they didn't believe. They didn't believe. And we shake our heads and we we think, how could they have been so blind? How could they have been so stupid? But let me tell you something. Jesus may not be walking physically among us today, but he is still present in our world. He is still showing himself to be real. He is still the same son of God that he was when he walked on this earth. And yet there are so many people, maybe some people in this very room are watching the live stream, who you still haven't believed. I mean, you know all about Jesus, but you never trusted in Jesus. You've never given him your heart. And I I just want to give you a reality check. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you don't before the end of your earthly journey, there will come a time for every person who ignores or denies or rejects Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ, there will come a time when you will say to yourself, how could I have not believed? How could I have not believed? But Jesus says in verse 37, however, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. Now, no matter how you interpret the the biblical doctrines of election and predestination, that, that Bible believers have, have debated for centuries as to how this all fits together, God's divine foreknowledge and his election and predestination and free will, and uh, it just makes your head spin theologically. No matter how you interpret it, here's what's absolutely crystal clear. No one comes to Jesus by their own initiative. No one can come to Jesus unless the Father is drawing them. And here's what I'm saying. If you're here today and you're hearing a gospel message and you're hearing the Word of God and you're feeling that kind of draw within you, don't take that for granted. That is the Father through the person of the Holy Spirit drawing you to the gospel and to the gift of eternal life. And don't think you can have it anytime you decide. The Father must draw you. Jesus said, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. Jesus came for you. He came to build a bridge for sinful human beings like you and and like me so that we could come to the Father, so that we could be forgiven and restored and reconciled to a holy God to whom we have no right to have access. He came to draw you. He came to to be the sacrifice, to give his body, to shed his blood so that we might be made right with the Father. Verse 38, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him 
should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. I want you to use a little bit of sanctified imagination with me here. Okay, imagine this. No matter where you are on the faith continuum, let's just say you became absolutely positively convinced that heaven is a real place that the Bible describes, a place of beauty and glory and peace forever and ever, and hell is a real place of torment and anguish and separation, just as the Bible describes. Let's say you became absolutely convinced that those things the Bible teaches were true. And let's say God said, okay, there are three things you have to do not to go to that horrible place called hell and to go to that beautiful place called heaven. Just three things. I'm going to give them to you. If, if you do them, you'll be in. If you can check off the boxes, then I will say, congratulations, you earned it. Come right on in. Is there anybody here who would knock yourself out to do those three things? Of course not. We would all, whatever they are, God, three things. I got it. I'm on it. Well, here's the reality, though. There's no list. There are no three things. In fact, there aren't even a million things you could do that would make God say, all right, you're good enough. Come on in. There's nothing you and I can do. But if we believe, if we put our faith in Jesus, if we receive the free gift of God's grace that we could never even begin to earn, we can have eternal life. Look at verse 47. This, this, this ought to be enough to make you shout. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Do you understand? That's the gospel. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Verse 48 Yes, I am the bread of life. And in verse 49, he is speaking to Jews, and he uses a historical story to illustrate. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Every day they got manna. They ate it, but they all died. Verse 50, anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, now don't miss this, and this bread which I offer so the world may live is my flesh. Okay, they heard that and went, whoa, whoa, wait wait a minute. Is your flesh? And it messed with their minds. Look, verse 52. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. Here's what was happening here. Jesus was introducing for the first time the the picture of his sacrificial death for sin. He is saying to them, this isn't about conquering Rome. This isn't about the Jews regaining their political status. This isn't even about anything really in your earthly life. 
But for this kingdom, the kingdom of God, to be revealed, there must be a flesh and blood sacrifice. The innocent must be sacrificed for the guilty. There must be a sacrifice so that you can be forgiven. And as he begins to paint this symbolic picture, it confused them. It rocked their world. And in verse 60, many of his disciples, and he's speaking of the crowd here, not the 12, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Okay, I want you to look at what Jesus said, and and let's be honest. What did that sound like to them? It sounded like cannibalism. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. They didn't have 20 centuries of Christian teaching to understand, and and this, this, this sounded more than weird to them. But what Jesus was saying is, look, don't miss this. He said, just as you ingest food for your spiritual strength and nourishment, You must take me in spiritually. It's not about a list of rituals and rules and regulations and achievements and morality and be a good person and all that stuff. not about any of that. It's about Jesus becoming a part of who you are, about by faith a unity with Jesus that he would later describe as the vine and the branches. It's about a spiritual union by faith. It's not about anything you do. But it messed with their minds. Verse 61, Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? You're expecting I'm going to overthrow Rome and set up an earthly kingdom. What will you think when I go back to heaven and leave you here? He's saying to them, guys, it's not about temporary things. It's about eternal things. It's not about human works. It's about a work of God's Spirit, verse 63. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. It's like Jesus is saying, okay, guys, here it is. This is it. Anyone who believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Will you partake or not, he's saying to them that day. And so that's what I want to ask you. If you're here today or watching online and you've never put your faith in Christ, the same question is the question I pose to you. Will you partake or not? At some point, everybody has to decide Jesus has claimed to your life that you can only access by faith. He is the bread of life that will satisfy your soul. Will you? partake or not. If you're counting on coming to church or you're counting on being a good person or being religious or any of that stuff, it won't do it. Will you partake by putting your faith in him? And very sadly that day, Jesus said, verse 64, but some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him.
Then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. And look at this sad, sad scene, verse 66. At this point, many of his disciples, not talking about the 12, talking about the crowd, many of those who were following after him, really they were false disciples. They turned away and deserted him. And so Jesus turns to his inner circle, the 12, or 67. Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? And then this is so cool. you got to love Simon Peter, okay? He could be a knucklehead. He could open his mouth before he spoke. He could do a lot of stuff that I can identify with. But right here, you really got to love him. Verse 68, Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? To whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Now, Simon Peter would falter and fumble. He would even deny Jesus when the heat was really on. Uh, He could mess up with the best of them, but he nailed it here. It was not his accomplishments, it was his faith that validated him. So, as I begin to bring this message to a close, let me just ask you a very personal question. What are you hungry for? And what is it that stirs up hunger in you? What is it that that occupies your mind and and becomes your passion and, and is what you are pursuing in life? Are you spending your life pursuing things constantly that are only temporary? That are only temporary? It's foolish because the, the satisfaction from the best bread on your table will be gone in a matter of hours like so many things in our life. They're only temporary. But Jesus will satisfy your soul for eternity. So two quick challenges, and then I'm done. Number one, ask yourself where your life would be if suddenly all your temporary things are gone. And by the way, that can happen. Ask the people in Lake Charles who got wiped out by a hurricane. Ask the people in California and Oregon whose homes have been wiped out by the wildfires or or whatever you would want to choose. It can happen in this life. Everything you have can be gone in a moment. But even if that kind of tragedy doesn't happen to you, listen, there's going to come a time for every one of us, even those of you who are here that are young, there will come a time unless Jesus returns before the end of our life journey is over. There will come a time when all of your temporary stuff will be gone. None of it will matter. It'll all be over, and only eternal things will matter. Here's the second challenge. Begin today. Begin today to pursue the bread of life that will never leave you hungry. Because if you do, you'll never be spiritually hungry again. Jesus 
is the bread that satisfies eternal hunger. Let me pray for you. Father, help us to be hungry for that bread. Help us not to spend all of our lives and all of our energies and all of our pursuits on things that are important but temporary. Even the very best things in this life, our homes, even even relationships, they're temporary. Lord, help us to pursue you so that you give us those things by faith that never, ever pass away. Thank you for all these beautiful people here in the Resonate service today. Thank you for their desire to worship you and to be in your presence with one another again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.